Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast. Produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live, second show of the year since we came back. John and Justin here with all of you folks, and we have a good one today. Uh, It's going to be Chad Finn from Boston.com. And, you know, a couple of things that came up on the show, but I think the big one, and maybe it was tongue-in-cheek, John, maybe it was tongue-in-cheek, but I'm going to tell you what, he points to the fences, he swings big, and he says that the Celtics are going to get a huge free free agent acquisition this summer. Go big or go home, baby. Yeah, man, that's, hey, you know, it, I, <laughs> why not? It, you know, I, the, the, the breadcrumbs are there, and uh, no, I mean, it, I hope he's right. We all hope he's right. Dear God, we hope he's right. Uh, but no, it, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, I, once you listen, I think everyone, you'll agree. Um, like as you said, there may be a little tug in cheek there. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he's he's going in to put money in, in Vegas on it. But I, I definitely yeah, I can't win if you don't play that. You got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing is obviously the Friday night game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. What a what an amazing finish. And just a month ago, you and I were speaking with Mark Spears on Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio in the place of Larry H. Russell. And this team was almost miserable to watch coming out of the holidays. Really frustrating. Now they're streaking. And I think the question we are going to have to ask after we speak with Chad Finn is, can the Celtics team take control in the Eastern Conference? They're streaking and peaking just like they were at this time last year. I mean, maybe it's possible they can even take over Toronto for the second seed. I don't know. Is that setting the bar too high? And with trade season coming right down the wire, uh, there could be a move. Maybe another Isaiah Thomas-like move. I think it's all in the realm of possibility. Oh, completely. Completely. And, and let's be honest. This, this run started when we came back. So you're welcome, everybody. That's right. That is a, that is a fantastic point, John. No doubt about it. You know we are. Uh, we're know, back we're the, in your iTunes feed. Yeah. Here we are, baby. Woo! CSL is bringing the Celtics back. You're getting a home home uh, first round playoff uh, seed CAO series. You're welcome. There you go. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing if they could get that second seed? And really, Toronto's had their numbers so far this season, but they played them when the Celtics were at their worst. 
I can't wait until the next matchup against the Raptors to really gauge this. I mean, I know we had the recent game, but this team just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Then you look at that Sunday game in Sacramento. Remember, they were missing open shots left and right just two months ago, and now it was almost like they couldn't miss a single one. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> as I said, my TV was smoking. It was, it was. I was wondering, is there something wrong here? There's something wrong with the picture. It looks like there's almost you know 30, there's like 25 points here with six minutes to go in the first quarter. I mean, it was nuts. I couldn't believe it. It was it was amazing. Uh, but those Celtics, so hot. And how many times have we seen them? They start you know after a really big game Sunday afternoon. It's a weird time, and somehow those guys came out and they were on fire. Boy, that was that was really impressive to see. Not great defense. Not great defense by the Kings, but hey, you know, you got to make the shots. doesn't matter who's guarding you. So. Traditionally, these Sunday afternoon games have not been good for the Celtics. They've come out flat. They haven't played strong, and they can't knock down a shot to save their lives. To say that this 1 p.m. Sunday game was a complete surprise would be a huge understatement for me because I, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. They were just making shot after shot, locked up and down the court. I know that they locked it down in the second half a little bit on defense, but 74 points in the first half, what an explosion. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was amazing. I mean, they, they, I, I, I really, you know, and there were times when I thought, well, you know, they're getting, but they, they put the pedal down, 74 points. I mean, before this, you know, this new space and pace and space era and all this, I mean, there were games, I can remember one game where they gave up less than 60 points to the Knicks. You know, I think we talked about it on the show. Um, you know, it was a Sunday afternoon game. So now, fast, brutal. fast forward a few days, right, you know, and fast forward years, now we're scoring 74 points. And this is not the, this is not the Warriors here. We're not talking about, you know, <laughs> you know, Steph Curry and Clay and all that. I mean, this is a team that struggled to hit open shots, and they didn't struggle hitting those open shots today at all no absolutely not and now we're going to go to chad finn so we're going to come right back and then uh after the show i mean after the interview with chad we'll be talking about uh a lot of things not to not to mention tyler zeller's return uh boogie cousins and blake griffin obviously in the news and why does gordon hayward keep coming up on our shows all right joining us now from boston.com is chad finn chad welcome to the show we're back after uh, a three-plus year hiatus. <laughs> Welcome back. It's uh, it, uh, I, I guess uh, you got a good thing going here, the Celtics, right now. So uh, uh, why not talk about them? It seems like uh, seems like things are really trending the right way. Yeah, John and I have been notorious bandwagon jumpers, you know, our whole lives. So you know, we figured it was time to start the show back up. But you know, uh, we watched a, a nice game on Sunday. Uh, against the Sacramento Kings, just as far as you know, entertainment on Super Bowl Sunday had a nice early game. These games notoriously pretty ugly, but the Celtics were hot shooting and coming off one day off. You know, technically they're or lately they've been really good on the second game of back to backs. Uh, but you know, Friday night's victory against Cleveland uh, was something that obviously launched them into an offensive frenzy against the Kings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty good balance. Uh, uh, Bradley finished with 25. Uh, Zeller had a nice game. Thomas had his points. I think he had seven in about 45 seconds at the end, and then had the nice assist to Crowder. So, 
they had a lot going on. Uh, it always seems like they're interesting with the Kings because you never know which version of Boogie you're going to get. I remember it was two years ago, Solinger dropped like a 20 and 20 on him because Boogie just uh, was uninterested in playing any defense at all. But uh, with what the situation going on there with Carl, with the Rondo factor, uh, and with Boogie being a wild card, it, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, it, it's always kind of interesting to watch them come in here and play. And uh, Sunday afternoon's game was uh, no different than usual. And you know, this was this was tailor made. I, you know, after that huge emotional win, I mean, my goodness, I mean, things were flying around my living room Friday night. Um, and then, to, you know, mostly anger there in the last few minutes because somehow we seem to have forgot. I mean, they had that game, they lost it, and then they got it back somehow, which was remarkable. But, you know, to go off of that, you would have thought, okay, and we've seen this, these Sunday afternoons, either before the Patriots play in the Super Bowl, because that's usually what we're doing right now is watching it as a Pats fan. Um, you know, but we've seen these times where just they, you know, they don't have that same energy. And... <laughs> scoring almost 40 points there in the first quarter, you know, 74 in the first half. You know, they came out firing. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of, it, it kind of, you know, but you see Rondo out there, it kind of gives you a little bit of nostalgia of what was and what might have been. What do you think, just kind of on a different track somewhat, Chad, what do you think it would, things how it would have been like if, Let's say let's say they find a way to, to re-sign Rondo, um, you know, and he's here through the start of the Brad Stevens era. How do you foresee that have, have gone? How do you think that would have gone wow. for the team? Talk about a what Man, if. I haven't thought about that in a long time, you know, because <laughs> so much has changed since the Rondo trade. I mean, uh, we saw with sort of the end of the game today uh, where he and Crowder were, were battling for a loose ball. They kind of knocked along the baseline a little bit went crashing into the, the sideline in front of the bench, and they're both kind of laughing, and you're reminded that they were part of the same deal, and, uh, you know, Crowder was perceived as a throw-in. He was averaging about three points a game for Dallas, and uh, as it turns out, you, you probably, uh, I do anyway, feel much better about having him on your team than you would at Rondo at this point, and, uh, you know, the Thomas deal happened, and uh, these various changes uh, that never would have taken place if Rondo had signed on. I've always had some skepticism that that was ever Ainge's intent. I know he's a pretty honest guy for the most part, unless he's trying to keep something from us. Uh, and after the fact, after he dealt Rondo, he still he did say still that uh, he would have uh, given serious consideration to keeping him around with a longer-term deal if if, uh, if that's how it had played out. But uh, I, I think if you look back on it now, look at what the Celtics are at the moment, uh, where they've got their third place in the East, uh, four and a half, I think, back of the Raptors for the two spot. Uh, you feel really good about their coach. You feel good about their roster The uh, in terms of the, the way they play every night and uh, the depth that they have, even though they don't have those superstars we feel like they're going to need. And uh, the picks and uh, the ability to go out and get a, a bigger ticket player, there's no regret, no remorse about uh, moving on from Rondo. I liked him a lot while he was here. Uh, I'll remember those teams greatly. Um I think sometimes people forget that he was not a known quantity in the championship year coming into that season. We all remember the stuff like, uh, you know, Bob Ryan writing, well, they have three stars, but what else do they have? They don't have a bench that you don't know what Perk and Rondo are going to be. As it turned out, Perk and Rondo were essential guys and they had a bench and Rondo was always really fun to watch for me, especially when he was on. But uh, I really like the direction this team is heading in a lot of different ways. And, uh, 
uh, no regrets. I always think of him well, but I'll never wish that he was still here. Yeah, I, I, no, I, and I and I'm with you. I think that everything happened the way it probably should have. I mean, there are this argument that if he hadn't gotten hurt, they might have gotten more for him. And but right. that being water over the dam at this point, you, you, you've got to love what Crowder is. Pro- you, you've got to love the fact they've got another number one pick that they can use as as uh, either as a, as a chip here entering the deadline, or you know certainly as we get closer to the to the draft. Um, yeah, I mean, I just it's kind of it kind of struck me today as I see him doing those those Rondo things that you know the anticipation and being in the right spot and and getting the steal, knowing that there's going to be a pass back outside and he's right there ready for it. I mean. You miss that. Right. You miss that about the guy. But then, you, what you don't miss is the the Olay defense, and you don't miss the you know the things that just used to drive you insane about the guy. But like you, I mean, I I, I was a Rondo guy from from way back, and 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 Justin and I would often have some good good go back and forth about about Rondo's shooting and his abilities. Right. So uh, you know, it's sad. To, it's 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 somewhat sad to see that kind of era. Go, gone and and you know down the road but at the same point it's it, now we're at this new, this new era and you know looking at, at this team right now um as they enter the trade deadline i mean as you said we had all those trades last year and they and they haven't made a deal it basically you know since the summer they haven't made any any deal since then um who do you? What do you think? You wrote quite a bit about Al Horford, and, and as I told you before the show, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you in terms of <laughs> the lust I have for him being on the Celtics. I think he's just a great fit, a great fit for Stevens. Um, but but from the Celtics' perspective, um, what do you think? What do you think the Celtics need to be more more concerned with holding on to? You know that, that like as you talked about Rondo uh, with the KG deal, there was some talked that he was inclu- going to be included in that deal and and ultimately Ames said no I want to keep Rondo and we'll put Marbury in um or not Marbury oh boy <laughs> Telfair sorry right um, wow you just rocked Marbury I know right I know <laughs> he's got a he's got a whole uh, entourage overseas you know they they erected a statue yeah in the yeah no, but I, you know I mean, like he was he was somebody who was important to hold on to who are those guys for the Celtics, you think to hold on to, yeah, you got to make the deal with the big piece, but who are the maybe the unsung guys that you need to hold on to to, to keep this team and this, you know, kind of the, the ethic and the and the character of this team alive? Well, David Lee, obviously, because he's going to turn back into a 20 and 10 guy in uh, any day now. But uh, uh, to me, it's smart, and I know there are questions about him uh, in terms of his durability. You know, sometimes some maturity things seem to pop up. But uh, when he's out there, uh, they have they have some great defenders in this team already. Crowder's a terrific defender. Bradley's a terrific defender, especially on the quicker guys. But uh, their attitude seems to get this boost from Smart being out there. We saw it at the end of the Cleveland game when uh, – he basically mugged Mozgov without fouling him, and, and they get the ball back, which sets up the, the winning basket. Not a lot of players in the league make that play, and that's a winning play, and uh, that's a play that comes from just this aggressiveness that you can't really teach. Uh, I want that guy on my team. I don't know what he's going to be as a shooter. I know he's been shooting well recently. Um, I still watch him when he misses. He misses badly, and, and to me that's a sign of a guy who's never really going to be a consistent outside threat, but he does so many things 
that you can see helping a winning team. He, he, he's someone who you can uh, see delivering a, a huge defensive play in a big moment in a game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I want that guy here. So I I know there's some risk of of uh, banking on Smart just because of the injuries uh, and that he's such a young player and you, you don't know what he is uh, still offensively. Uh, but he's the guy I want here. But otherwise, there's just so many other players I like on this team. They're not necessarily indispensable, but if they get traded, I'm going to be bummed if they get traded. You know, Jay Crowder was uh, an end-of-the-bench guy in Dallas. He comes here and immediately finds a niche and becomes a fan favorite, and for all good reasons, uh, but I'd trade him in the right deal. I don't want to see him go, but I'd see him go in the right trade. Uh, same for Avery Bradley, who I really like. It's suddenly that $8 million a year looks like uh, looks like a really good contract, the way uh, salaries are trending and the cap is trending in the NBA. Uh, but pretty much I, I think you could deal anybody and probably justify it depending on who you're getting back. But the guy I want to see stay here is Marcus Smart because I, he just does those things that uh, make you think he's going to do those things on a higher level in bigger moments uh, as this team gets better and better. All right, so since Brad Stevens shortened the rotation, uh, what player on the team is the most ex- exp- uh, expendable who is still receiving regular minutes? And I suppose we'll include Tyler Zeller because he just got some minutes back and has performed well. But, you know, of all the players, so I have to take David Lee and, again, push him out of this conversation, <laughs> right. uh, this time without sarcasm, and say, who is the most expendable of this nine, I guess, almost ten-man rotation that, that Stevens has decided to go with at this point? Huh, that's an interesting question. Uh, to me, the, the guy I wouldn't mind seeing them move on from is Solinger. Uh, I know he does a lot of things that the, the, that uh, other guys on the roster don't do. Uh, if they dealt him and didn't get a rebounder back, that would be a blow. Um, he's a guy who can score inside. He's got tremendous hands. Uh, the ball hits his hands, it seems like it's his, and uh, he can finish around the hoop. But uh, he's maddening sometimes, too. The effort comes and goes. I think he gets a little bit frustrated in uh, uh, situations where things are going well for the team, but not necessarily going well for him. And, um, again, maybe that's a maturity thing that a player grows out of as he gets older, or maybe that's just a sign of a uh, of a player who's a little bit entitled. And uh, I would be all right moving on from him. Um in terms of, uh, I think he's what restricted after this year, but um, in terms of a guy who they're probably going to move, I don't know if there is one. I just think it's dependent on who you're getting back and what the team that you're dealing with needs or, or who appeals to them. Because uh, one team might like Jonas Jarebko, the other team might say, you know, Tyler Zeller fits uh, with what we do, and another team may say, we're not making a deal with you unless we get Avery Bradley back. And uh, it's kind of, the way things, are, I guess, have to be for Danny Ainge because he's got this roster dotted with uh, above-average players who have uh, certain skills that they do really well and maybe a flaw that stands out as well. And so uh, you're gonna your players that you're shopping are going to have different appeal to uh, different potential trade partners. And so in that sense, I would say probably nobody is totally off-limits. And, again, it adds the whole intrigue of this thing as we get down uh, 12 days or whatever it is uh, away from the trade deadline. Well, I knew you were going to say Jared Sullinger, and I think that's because it's sort of the obvious answer for a lot of the fans even and the discussion that goes on and just what you see on the floor. Um, You know, I'm in sales, and they they say never ask a question you don't know the answer to uh, because I wanted to go to Sullinger, and I knew you would go there. And so at the end of the day with Sully, (laughs) I think to your point, there are some things he does that's frustrating, 
there's always been questions around conditioning. And then there's this other part of that, that some of it's just his body type. But the truth is, is this team is top 10 and they've floated around in that top 10. They didn't crack it early on, but they have since they started to play better. Top 10 in uh, in rebounding and offensive rebounding. That's one skill that Jared Sullinger tends to bring on most nights, night in and night out. Don't you think if they're going to move him that they would have to get somebody back in return who can still contribute some rebounds? Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about Horford, and that, that's probably unlikely unless Atlanta decides uh, that they're that they have no chance of resigning him, and they're not going to give him that 143 million dollar max deal that he apparently wants. Uh, I'd still be shocked if they did move him. But um, if he were a guy you you were getting back, you could say, all right, uh, of, of course he's a much better player. We can part with Sollinger there for sure. Uh, even though Horford's rebounding numbers have declined the last few years. I think he's averaging about 70 game this year, and he was in double figures uh, three or four years ago. So, uh, But that's a good enough rebounder that you're getting back. And at uh, essentially the same position, he's, he's a center, but he's kind of got a power forward build um, where you could you could look at it and say, yeah, we're not going to lose a whole heck of a lot in terms of the rebounding. But in general, yeah, if you do move on from Sully, uh, it takes something off the roster that not all the, the remaining players can can replace necessarily. So you probably would have to get a uh, get a decent big back to get you some rebounds. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because I think the the well known concern about any trade deadline deal, other than maybe you give up an opportunity on somebody like Ben Simmons, is the is how much you're going to disrupt the chemistry. And so a guy like Horford, even if you lose a little bit of the rebounds, the fact that he knows how to play within a team makes you think that it wouldn't really rock the boat so much versus you know all the trade discussions about Boogie. But I want to use that to talk about Amir Johnson because here's a guy that they brought in from Toronto. Seems like Danny has been really concerned about getting players that have good leadership skills, whether young or old. Just Marcus Smart being another example of a young guy with a lot of leadership potential. Doesn't have it now, but has the skill base and the personality. Just seems they want these leadership, team-first type of guys. Horford fits that, but Amir Johnson was really the first one they kind of brought in in the offseason to do that. Can you talk about how underrated his season has been? Because he was really flying under the radar, even though he's been a starter night in and night out. Yeah, he's funny. I don't think a lot of fans knew who he was when he came in. Part of it's playing in Toronto, and uh, a part of it's his skill set. I think where he, he's the guy who uh, he'll get you that key offensive rebounder, and you're up two uh, with, with 45 seconds left. He'll he'll uh, come up with a block at the rim in a in a big moment, or uh, he's a better passer than than you might expect. But he's not someone who's going to go out and drop that 20 and 10. Or you're going to look at and say, oh, yeah, this is an obvious guy who went straight from high school to the NBA because he's so talented, which, you know, he was the last one to do that. You look at him and say, this is a guy who's banged around the league probably for 15 years and uh, has always seemed to find his way onto good teams and and, and is uh, the third big on uh, a team that's a contender. That's what you see when you look at him. And uh, I think Danny Ainge looked at him. Obviously, a lot of the uh, advanced metrics had him as a very efficient player, and they've been consistent with that, which. Uh, something that appealed to Ainge and Mike Zarin and the guys in their front office, but uh, also the fact that he's someone whose teammates clearly respected him, who does the things that uh, help a team win, even if his own statistics and personal goals come at the expense uh, of, uh, you know, if winning comes before those things. Um, he's someone you want on your team. And uh, I think the longer he's been here, the more people have recognized the subtle things that 
uh, he does to help you win. He came, he came in and sort of struggled a little bit at the beginning, and you looked at him and said, uh, this is just another big guy. Uh, but you see him more and more, and you see him making those plays or Stevens putting him into situations uh, in big moments where you trust that he, trust him being on the floor, and you realize this is a guy who can help you win some games, even if uh, in the end his stat sheet, is, uh, his uh, line on the stat sheet isn't something that jumps out at you. And Ainge seems like a really good knack for recognizing those types of players. I'd say Jay Crowder is similar to that. I mean, given where he was in Dallas, and uh, one question, I don't know, maybe you guys have heard answer this, but I never had, is what Rick Carlisle really thought of that Crowder deal uh, because he wasn't playing him a whole heck of a lot there, but he must have had a good sense for what he could do if he could get on the court. And it had to be really obvious to Carlisle that Rondo wasn't going to fit into that Dallas offense in any uh, way, shape, or form. And uh, I would love to have heard the the behind-the-scenes conversations between Cuban and Carlisle when that deal went down. But uh, uh, back to the original point, you know, the H has had a real knack for bringing in those type of guys who uh, are good fits in in good atmospheres and uh, and, uh, have a real sense for putting the team ahead of uh, anything that they're trying to accomplish as individuals. And I, I trust that if Ainge makes a big deal here in the next uh, 10 days or so, that uh, it'll be another one of those type of players that he brings in, just one that's a bigger name. And Al Horford would be a one on my list. Yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. Um, let's talk about somebody who I don't know about you, but certainly I, looking a little, probably further ahead, because I don't, I don't think this guy gets moved at the deadline. But he's probably... Of that elite, you know, top 10, top 15, um, you know, he's probably in that mix. And I'm talking about um, the, uh, the, 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 the pugilist known as uh, Blake Griffin. Um, he's probably, uh, you know, certainly the Kevin Love thing. And I think that's been discussed in terms of the interest there. Um, but Blake Griffin is a very different, he's, He's, you know, he's a very different style player, um, and and you almost think that he's not a fit in today's NBA, uh, other than the fact the kid's 26 and uh, or, or he's he's going to be 27 soon. Um, but you know, there's many people who think, and and I I I share this belief that the Clippers need to to make a decision soon. I mean, Chris Paul is 30, but. Being a 30-year-old point guard is, is you know, as we saw with Isaiah, especially a small point guard, you do, don't have many years left. And so the Clippers yeah. are going to have to make some decisions this summer. Uh, it seems odd to move on from probably the youngest of the trio there with he and DeAndre and, and, and Chris Paul. But you start punching assistant you know, equipment managers and, and, and you become the guy people want to move. What do you think right. about Blake Griffin how does he fit into maybe what Stevens wants to do and what the Celtics have here? And, you know, then also the, would you want a guy like that on your team? And, or can the Celtics even afford to ask that question of someone with his talent? Oh, they will. I mean, if they were going to consider Kevin Love, they'll consider Blake Griffin. Uh, um, you know, he's uh, Love would probably be a better fit in the Celtics offense. Defensively is a whole different question. Uh, different skill set than Griffin, but when you, you're looking at a guy who's one of the top 10, 15 players in the NBA, uh, maybe top 20, I guess, if, if, if you're down on him at this point, and you have a chance to acquire a guy like that, uh, you do it, and then you uh, try to figure out what he needs rather than 
um, looking at him and saying, "Well, this, this, and this is the guy's flaw, and uh, uh, we're going to we're going to ignore the possibility of acquiring this guy because, uh, as we all know, you do need those stars in the NBA to some degree uh, if you're going to get uh, into the elite co- elite level, the championship contention level, rather than the level that they're at right now. So, uh, if if he's available, I expect Ainge to." Uh, to look into that. If he's not available, I'd imagine Angel will probably look into it anyway because he doesn't really leave a lot of stones unturned. It's one of uh, his many attributes as the uh, president of basketball operations with them. So uh, I I would like to see them look into it just out of curiosity. I, I'm not sure what Griffin becomes uh, once his athleticism wanes more, uh, whether he will add more uh, perimeter shooting and a little bit more playmaking to his game. Oh, well, he's all right at that now. Uh, and what he's going to be as he approaches 30. But right now he's a guy that, uh, even with his flaws, you would take him on your team. You would probably make the Celtics a better team right now, uh, even if you had to give up a lot to get him. So uh, I imagine they'll look at that. But, uh, you know, if they do bring him in, uh, I guess Ed LeCert or Brian Dewell, one of those guys would probably have to be pretty nervous given the way uh, he seems to treat the, the behind-the-scenes people. But, yeah, I, I mean, he's, a, he's an elite player, so. I was just thinking our good friend Sean Grandy wouldn't mind seeing him on his moonlighting job in the MMA. I was thinking maybe Blake Griffin would get traded to a completely different professional sport. Can you do that? Uh, I I guess you'd have to think of some other options. But uh, the story of that... Red Auerbach got Danny Age out of his contract with the Blue Jays. In the words of Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, the six foot five, one eighty hitting second baseman uh, uh, was uh, once the Celtics drafted. Uh, the baseball career was all over in his mind. I've actually meant to ask Ainge about that because he does talk about it. Uh, but from what I understand, one, the Blue Jays compared him to Brooks Robinson defensively, which just, of course, is absurd. And two, Ainge was convinced he would have had a long major league career if he'd stuck with baseball, which you know, statistically. Uh, I don't think uh, his uh, success rate in the minor leagues or the major leagues at that point indicated that he was going to do anything. But um, I think taking that jump shot to to the NBA and pairing up with DJ in that backcourt probably was the best idea uh, uh, for him. And uh, he, he's a he's a confident guy, obviously, and does, hasn't failed at a whole lot in his life. But uh, he seems to think highly of his baseball prospect, even though the, the back of his baseball card doesn't uh, doesn't agree with him. <laughs> well, that six-six uh, light hitting uh, right fielder for the Birmingham Barons in the mid '90s probably would agree with your assessment too. That yeah. probably going to basketball isn't a bad idea. Um, I I, I want to <laughs> jump quickly to the draft. Uh, I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch of Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram, uh, Duke Blue Devil. Uh, Got to bring mention that right. certainly. Um, but you know, we talked a little bit last week, Justin and I were talking about the issue of what the value of that pick is as opposed to making a deal with that. You know, and, and Ainge said on uh, it was it was on with Dale and Holly this week. I thought it was it was probably the most that anyone has gotten him to say on the topic. Um in, in that he you know, he said, I you know, I'm not gonna deal that for a thirty year old, so there goes the Horford talk. Um uh, right. but but I but I'm gonna I would deal it for a younger player. And and the guy that that we talked about last week was was Gordon Hayward, um, and and some of that has been kind of come up, come about by Zach Lowe kind of offering the Celtics as as a a potential fit there because you know the Jazz need to 
get to a higher level and and they're not going to basically with where they're at and and, and their money situation so I wonder what your thoughts about dealing the pick are. What, what's the math that you would want to make in your own mind in terms of what's a good deal? How much, you know, how much protection do you need to have that it's not going to, that you're not going to get the number one pick to feel like you need to deal it. What, what do you think that that what's going on in Ainge's mind or what would you do? I guess if you were Danny in this case. Wow. It's tough. I want to know where the pick is. <laughs> if it's one, then I'm keeping it. But, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot beyond Simmons this year in terms of guys who you, you can see coming in the league and making an impact right away. Ingram's terrific, but he's so skinny and young that uh, he comes in the league next year. He's probably not going to have much of an effect, uh, even if he's on a lousy team. Uh, I know the kid uh, held from Oklahoma. He's a great shooter. He's also 6'4". Uh, the Kentucky kids are all uh, at various stages of development, uh, but doesn't look like uh, anything there is gonna to, gonna be a big factor. So uh, to me, it looks like one guy that you really uh, you you daydream about, and then a bunch of lottery tickets after that. But uh, we'll see a little bit more as we get into March and uh, uh, watch a little more college hoops uh, as the tournament comes around. But uh, Hayward's interesting, obviously the Baller connection. Uh, he's a guy you can look at and say, you know, he's a well-rounded offensive player. He could probably be a number two on. Um, uh, on a, a very good, again, contending team, but um, I'm not sure I would give up the one. That would be a tough one. And maybe if you could get Hayward in favors in a bigger package or something like that. But that's uh, uh, another another uh, rumor that I've kind of tried to figure out where it originated. And uh, to me, it seems like it originated from two things, that, that Hayward's really good. Well, three things. Hayward's really good, and the Celtics need a really good player. Uh, the, the Stevens connection, obviously, and the fact that Utah traded Darren Williams when nobody was really expecting it at that point. Uh, so the assumption is that they would trade Haywood because uh, no one's really expecting that either. And um, it is an interesting name. It would He wouldn't be a guy shocked to uh, surprise me at all if he ended up playing for the Celtics at some point, especially if Stevens remains here for years and years. But I'm not sure the time is right right now. And I think my reaction would be if they traded that number one pick and uh, – you know, another body or two and ended up getting uh, Hayward. Uh, I would be a little, I think I not disappointed, but I'd be like, ah, you know, I kind of, uh, kind of wish they'd hung on to that and uh, would see what the pick would land before, um, before making that kind of deal. When you give up that potential number one pick, and I know, you know, the odds are against them right now in terms of getting uh, Simmons. Uh, when you're giving that up though, that even that lottery ticket, uh, you want to be getting a player back who's like a no doubter and Hayward's close to a no doubter. But uh, he's not that number one uh, cornerstone franchise anchor type of player. He's a good number two. And um, I don't think I'd be that thrilled about it. I'd probably talk myself into being thrilled about it after it happened. But uh, my initial reaction would be, ah, I don't want to see that pick go just yet. That's the correct answer, by the way, Chad. I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, I got that yeah. one right. I was <laughs> so, that's the correct answer if you stand in John's camp, that's for sure. <laughs> you guys like Hayward, though? I mean, you like I Hayward, you, and, but I just him. not for, for that price. No, I do. I love him for yeah. that price. That's, oh, that's, that's one of the reasons why the question was asked is so that John and I can argue for endless hours at to close out the show once you're gone. But, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, listen, I like him because I think with the direction of the team, and I do think that I almost wonder if somebody like a Blake Griffin really would disrupt the balance on this team. I mean, right now, night after night, 
every one of these guys gets an opportunity. Earlier in the season, 12 guys were getting an opportunity. It was a problem. The team spoke uh-huh. up. Brad does a great job of listening to the players. And then all of a sudden, he shortens the rotation. Guys like David Lee, who just weren't able to – I mean, look, his per 36 minutes are great, but he's just not a good fit for the team. And as a matter of right. fact, that's part of the reason Tyler Zeller went down. Those two were playing side-by-side side at the beginning of the year, and they were a horrible match. And not only did David <laughs> Lee get sent to the bench, but so did Tyler Zeller. Right. That's so bad. So I love yeah. Hayward. I, I think he fits in good. I think he does a lot of, you know, John says he's a lot like, you know, Evan Turner, but two two tiers above. And I do agree with that. But I think I think in this NBA, all the different things that Brad's been able to do to change the lineups. I mean, he, threw, he throws out Tyler Zeller in the game against the Knicks. And without Tyler Zeller, that's a loss. I mean, that's a definite loss. And so mm-hmm. I like that they have some versatility. And I don't know that I want a huge ego. So that's why I say, okay, well, I know there's Ben Simmons there, but I also know that a few years ago we wound up with the fifth pick. And, yeah, we did something nice with it and got Ray Allen, but it was almost E. Jin Leon, and that scares the crap out of me. I'd rather trade for a known commodity like Hayward and say, let's just keep moving the team forward. Well, my hot take is they never should have traded that pick for Ray Allen because we could have Jeff Green much earlier than we did around here, and uh, I think everybody wants that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's a, uh, you know, that's a reasonable point about Hayward. My, my thought on Griffin is that I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I mean, it seemed like when they were re-recruiting DeAndre Jordan that that team had pretty good unity and uh, closeness and that he was kind of the focal point of that. But, uh, you know, popping the, the assistant trainer and uh, watching the chaos that always seems to surround that team. Now, some of that's Doc. Some of that's Chris Paul. Some of that's the culture of the franchise. But, uh, it seems like Griffin uh, can seem like the greatest guy in the world, and then he can seem like a total pain in the neck, uh, uh, you know, five minutes after that. And um, I, he's so talented that, to me, he's probably uh, worth paying the steep price that you'd have to pay. But I admit, uh, you know, there's also some risk there that isn't the risk of bringing in a guy like Hayward, who I, I really like that Evan Turner, a couple notches up comparison. You can, they, they have some similar skills. Uh, without Hayward driving you absolutely crazy like Turner does from time to time. But, uh, you know, the bottom line in all this is that Angels can have some really interesting possibilities to consider. And uh, hopefully uh, some of them are similar to the ones we're talking about because those are some appealing, talented players. Well, and, well yeah, and I, I know we – Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, John. I, I was just going to say, just to jump on the, set, the, the Hayward thing. And first of all, I, I loved Hayward. I've loved Hayward the moment after he missed that half-court heave against Duke in the championship game. So <laughs> I have to mention that, first of all. But no, it, it, moving on, uh, you know, I think... You I thought think, Kyle Singler was better, didn't you? I, I, was, I was really a big Kyle Singler guy. <laughs> I gotta be honest, <laughs> but pretty much anybody that comes out of Cameron, I'm 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 completely uh, in in yeah, I, it's it's terrible. I have no objectivity in this at all. Um, but <laughs> when it, you know when it comes to Hayward, though, he's he allows he. I think I think that's a guy you can make a deal with if you have the second or third pick. I think you can deal that pick and get a guy like Hayward and maybe something else. I don't think it's one or bust. I know that Justin loves Hayward, and I like Hayward. But like you said, he's a, he's a second piece, um, and and maybe in Boston he could he could go up, he could be like a one A. Um, but I don't think that he's 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 going to be if, if Ben Simmons is the guy at number one. I don't think there's a question in the world that you keep the number one pick. But Hayward, 
I think you can get him with two or three because I think, you know, Utah is going to have to look at the next wave, you know, the, the Dante Exum, um, you know, that group, because they're not getting it done with, they're not going to get there with apparently with Hayward and company and they're not gonna be able to pay everybody. So, right. I don't think, I think that they, I don't think they have to make that deal for Hayward at a point where they don't know, just to your point, Chad, then they don't know what that pick is. I think they're going to be able to know before they make that deal. And, and if they, if well, hold on, free, hold on. We, I gotta ask, I'm okay with making that deal for Hayward. I just think, that uh, it can come cheaper, it, and, I, and I get that. Yeah. So let me throw this to Chad, and then I know we got to close him because we, we've already run over time. But Chad, here's here's my thought, and it's a concept that hasn't really come out much in our show. Maybe we'll tee it up for the second half. But see, my thought is is that next year's swap with Brick, Brooklyn, because I think the draft is more loaded, is actually a more important pick for this Celtics huh. organization, which is another reason why I say you go ahead and move for a known commodity this year. Then you've got the free agents that may be coming in next year, and everybody knows that you still get another top pick to add in the future because a lot of these free agents are going to be concerned that now that the salary cap is going through the roof, that any team can rebuild on the fly and whatever. It's going to be how are you going to build around us and just keep pulling in talent. And I think the Celtics can make a huge point to a veteran free agents and that they want to bring into this squad in the future by trading this one, getting one more notch up and that end up into free agents and knowing they'll have the swap next year. Well, Durant's coming here no matter what. I mean, Ames planted Beautiful. the seed when he was sitting with his mom uh, during the tournament <laughs> back in 2006, 2007, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Conversely, uh, that's probably going to help keep the nets down uh, in, in terms of what the Celtics need because you know, people say, well, they're, they're going to go out and get somebody in free agency. Well, whoever the somebody is, if he is a decent agent, is going to look at the nets and say, all right, you signed me, now what else? I mean, you don't have a, a first-round pick or at least uh, the, the one you should have for three years. Um, you know, is Joe Johnson going to still be here making all that money and doing uh, really not not a whole heck of a lot now? Is uh, Lopez going to be healthy? What what situation am I walking into? And when the money is going to be out there freely for these guys, uh, it's going to be tougher for Brooklyn to get a guy than uh, I think the, the – consensus theory around the NBA that, that that's how they're going to try and salvage this thing and uh, keep the Celtics draft picks uh, uh, worse than than we perceive them to be right now. I don't think that's going to work out for Brooklyn. I, I think they're going to have a tough time getting a player in there because of how uh, you know grim the future media future is in terms of uh, using those draft picks and watching those draft picks go to Boston. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge problem. All right, Chad Finn from Boston.com joining us now on Celtic Stuff Live, our second show uh, in about a three and a half year hiatus. Couldn't have uh, <laughs> couldn't have hit it off better. I love you calling your shot on Kevin Durant and then in the Danny Ainge uh, MLB career. Absolutely a, a great interview. And and Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, guys. Welcome back, and uh, glad to do it anytime, especially if it means that you bump in Tangway or somebody like that. <laughs> anytime we can it, it this is the three main black bears on one show and it's not tangway we're doing something right you know <laughs> that's right i agree with that hey, thanks a lot fellas thanks chad all right thanks chad john a fabulous interview with chad finn is that the first time we've had chad on the show because i know it's been a while and you know i'm getting older i'm losing some hair and i'm losing some brain cells my memory a little foggy but I have to say, I think that's his first uh, appearance on the show. Am I right? 
I think it was. I know he's listened to the show before. He and I have talked. Um, he's a main guy like you and I. Uh, grew up uh, down in Bath and uh, went to the University of Maine like all smart people do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, and, and he just does great stuff there on Boston.com and uh, and also writing on, in the Globe doing their media, their sports media columns. So I uh, loved having him on. He did a great job. And, and everyone should be following him if you're not already uh, at Globe Chad Finn. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. So, um, yeah, it was great to have him on. And he, he's a big basketball guy. Uh, you know, he played growing up uh, uh, and uh, played on some pretty good co- his high school teams. I think they won three to four years. Uh, state championship, so uh, class A. So, good guy, good, 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 and knows basketball. A lot of people know he's he's a, you know certainly a basketball, uh, baseball uh, fanatic. But uh, as as we all just heard, um, guy knows who's hoops as well. So glad to have him on. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a number of things I want to talk about. You know, during that interview that came up, you know, I think the biggest one I want to I want to discuss because I know last week we had Mike Gorman on, and obviously we didn't put the Boogie Cousins screws to Mike. You know, like obviously <laughs> it was clear he'd had about enough of that. But here's my point: so many people jumping on the Blake Griffin. Oh, let's get him in the off season, or can we trade for him now, and all of this. But they were the same people that would have said, no way to Boogie Cousins. Is this kind of unfair to Boogie? Because when we talked to Mark Spears, again, on our first show back in years and years and years covering for Larry H. Russell, uh, you know, Mark told us, Boogie's not a bad guy. He gets a bad rap, but off the court, he does a lot of things for the community. And I've never heard about Boogie punching anybody, right? And definitely not training staff. So while they may think he's a little bit of a, you know, emotional cancer in the locker room or a coach killer, is he really as detrimental to the chemistry on, say, a team like the Celtics as Blake Griffin? And is it not a little unfair what's been going on in the way that Boogie's been characterized? Or, or does he still deserve the criticism and you just throw Blake Griffin into the mix? Well, certainly on the court, just going by what we see on the court, and going by just by the game, <laughs> the Celtics matchup with the Kings, this most recent event, uh, it, it, the the whining, the crying, the technicals, the, you know, the, at times lackluster defense. I mean, I think those things are legitimate reasons to keep Boogie Cousins from coming to your team. I, I, you know, I heard a great interview the other day with uh, Tom Tom Thibodeau, our old uh, defensive mastermind here. Uh, he was on with Bill Simmons, and you know, he talked about how Boogie was one of the most misunderstood guys he met at the Team USA camp. Um, you know, really put the work in, played out of position, did everything he was asked. Um, you know, I think a lot of what his issues have been is just the situation he's been in. Um, but at the same point, I think what, what Mike, what I took Mike's belief, in, and maybe maybe you have a different take, was that, you know, he just didn't want to add any uncertainty to that mix, that things are so good right now. Why, why make that risk? Why take that gamble? And... It's a fair point. Um, it's hard to argue with. It's hard to I mean, argue with. My, and when but we you need talent. Hayward, right. You, know? you do need talent. And, and that's my point about the Hayward thing. Yeah. You know, I do agree. I want a player who can mix into the team. And I know we already talked about it ad nauseum with Chad. But it is funny that Hayward keeps coming up. And I know a big reason is because of his connection with Brad Stevens and the chance that Utah is going to blow it up. And, and maybe they would hit the reset button, even though Hayward is still very young. But those are all the reasons why I like Hayward. And I don't think he would disrupt the chemistry. I think it's a big, I think it is an important consideration. 
And I know that's another reason why people are in love with the pick, because you figure if you get a young guy in, they're not going to be a headache. You can just indoctrinate them into this culture, which may be true. But I think if you have another known commodity, and I think we can use this to leap into the conversation um, about next year's pick that we didn't really complete in the interview with Chad, which is, is next year's pick more valuable in a swap with the Nets than this year's pick at the trade deadline? Or even if we stay in the lottery, even if you were to get the number one overall pick, I feel like next year's pick is is going to be a bigger indicator on whether or not the Celtics are able to, to, to really come up with the next great championship run over four or five years. Yeah, well, I think... I think I agree with your assessment. First of all, the next year's pick is is more valuable. Um, I mean, anything can happen. Let's let's just say that anything can happen with the Nets in the next you know eighteen months or or, or I guess less than that, seventeen sixteen months. But I think the reality is that, that the Nets will not be better next year than they are this year, and and I think the Lakers will be better. And I think the Sixers will be better. And I think that, just as we saw this year, the early part of this year with the Celtics, and that you know they were playing better than last year, but they were behind. And it's because the competition improved. And I think that's what we're going to see for the Nets, is that the Lakers are going to be better. They want to get imp- they want to improve. So do the Sixers. The Nets are not going to be able to get there. So as a result, 17 pick is going to be more valuable. But at the same point, that doesn't mean we devalue the 16 pick. Um, as a result, and, and I think they're both valuable. They're both uh, crucial pieces in how this team is going to move from, you know, or how they move from certainly Paul Pierce and KG, but but also from where they are here into that top five. You know, basically, we you look at the league right now. There's five teams that can win the championship, and how do you get from right now a top half of the of the Eastern Conference playoff race to that top five, the only way you're going to do that is by getting a top-tier talent, and you only can do that at the very top of the draft. Uh, well, fair enough, fair enough. But I guess my, my take on this is that you want, to use this, you want to use this pick to improve the team today, not in the draft. And I understand it's valuable, but I think when it comes to impending free agency, they want to know that that team is growing, that it has guys that are ready to win today. And the truth is, I'm not sure that those picks – necessarily attract top top free agents and we know the money you know the coffers are opening up money is not going to be the issue that it has been for the last 20 years when this offseason hits and even as chad said he mentioned kevin durant yeah is that a way outside chance of course it is but brad stevens is on a roll and if this team and george carl said after the game in sacramento and they posed it to isaiah thomas as well after the game george carl said that he thinks the seas have a shot against Cleveland. Now you go out and get a guy like Hayward and you go and and you take Cleveland to seven games. Maybe that's maybe if they're good enough to get into that second seed that that's in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I know this is real big dreams, but my point is you had a you had a scorer, somebody else that can shoulder that load with Isaiah Thomas to close out games. You put that together on this team and they actually challenge Cleveland like that and you've got the coach of the century, somebody who's an up and comer. And and you've and you spent that pick, but there's still a big pick the next year, and that's the momentum you're riding into free agency. I think you could see a, a lot of long shot, big star, superstar type acquisitions for the Celtics club that nobody thought was possible this past summer or any time before that. Possible, I, entirely possible. I, I just 
I have such little faith in, in free agency and, and seeing such little movement, you know, from team to team. I mean, really, only Greg Monroe was really the only noticeable guy of the big, and, and even then, it's, you know he's I mean, he's already on the trade block. You know, so I, I'm not. I, I don't. Well, there's think... a guy I would trade for, also. By the way, Who, who's that? That's somebody not for the first pick. Yeah. But I would definitely move future picks and and Sullinger for Monroe. I think that might actually be a good move. Well, I mean, it's just it's the money. Yeah, I mean, maybe I I don't know. I, I'm not. You know, I just want that rebounding in return. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, I just I don't think. The the rebounding I think is important. I don't think it's it's not important. But at the same point, you know, you, when you look at the whole body of work for a guy like Sullinger, um, you can pay a lot less and get a guy who can rebound. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and and what we're but looking- not if you're consolidating talent. I mean, are you? Well, no. Would you put right. Monroe and Sullinger on the same level? Uh, no, I think I think Monroe is a is a better offensive player than than Sullinger is. I, I, defensively, they're probably about a wash. He might Monroe might be a little bit better defensively, but I think I think I think it's a step up to get Monroe certainly. But you're also it's the difference between paying him. Are you probably going to pay? What are you going to pay Sullinger this summer? Will he be making fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million a year? Is he going to get a Monroe like deal? I mean, I, I he's not getting paid crap by the Celtics. The dude's gone. I, I feel so strongly about that. Right. Um, I just I think he's absolutely gone. That's why I knew that Chad Finn answer, Chad Finn's answer to that question about the most expendable you know player that's actually getting minutes in the rotation was Jared Sullinger because we all know it. Yeah. And 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 no, the time is up for him. And and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a couple more years to develop because even if he does get traded, I think I think he almost needs that chip on his shoulder. I think he needs for him to become a better player. He needs Boston to give up on him. I, I really feel that way. Yeah, no, I I think you're I think you're probably right about that. I I, I wrote something on Twitter about how I'm right on Friday night in, in the midst of that. Uh, well, as as things were going badly, I guess in Cleveland, uh, how I'd be ready to see Selinger go, and I, there were, I was surprised how many people were like, "Why? Why would you want to see Selinger go?" And I just it it kind of surprises me how many supporters he has at this point. Um, be- well, this whole team has supporters. They you know do. that's that's Mike that's Mike Gorman's whole point. The one we talked about earlier. Nobody wants to mess with the chemistry because they're on fire right now. Yeah. And I t- and I totally understand. But this team, as constituted, is never going to beat the Golden State Warriors in the finals. Everybody can agree on that. Right. They might give Cleveland a run, one more piece that's not a superstar. They still could probably you know take it to Cleveland if all the chips fall into the right place, including Kevin Love's uh, tendency to get injured against the Celtics just about every single game they play. Uh, those things, the stars might align right. They're not going to take the Golden State Warriors in the finals. How, not even the San Antonio Spurs. Right. You know, we've seen this this, this sort of thing happen often. Um, whether you want to talk about the Hawks last year, you want to talk about, um, you know, even the Celtics in 2 You know, kind of going back to that team because that that's kind of what's first reminded me of that team that the tough defense and and find a way to get it done and only really having a couple guys that can score the ball for you and you know there's there's a lot of similarities there. They're tough. They're gritty. You love them. They got a lot of heart. But the truth is, they're not going to win the championship. You know, and anything that sets you up to think that what you have right now, the fool's gold you have right now, is sustainable is is foolish. It's gonna it's gonna put you in a situation like the Hawks are in, 
where now they need to deal. It looks like they're looking to deal two of the really clutch pieces of that team, 60-win team last year, because they're going to be free agents and they're probably leaving. And and that sort of scenario, you're losing. I don't understand that though. I don't mean to. I don't mean to jump on you again. No, but and, and you're making a great point. But this with with this with the salary cap opening them up, opening up, and the new TV deal and all of that. Yeah. Why are teams not certain that they're going to be able to retain these players? Doesn't it seem like a no-brainer that they'll be able to retain their players? This this is I haven't read enough articles and I probably need to dive in on it, but that attitude amongst the teams makes no sense to me. I was almost certain that the Celtics wouldn't acquire anybody at the deadline this year for that reason alone. That there's going to be tons of money and nobody's going to want to play their cards until they see that CBA get signed and everything fall into place. Well, I, I, it, yeah, it said the, the TV money is what's driving all of this, and so you know between this year and next year, the, the obviously the cap is not an issue anywhere, right? You can go anywhere you want to play wherever you want. Now, remember, you've also got to look at things behind the scenes too. So if the money is is comparable, um, and, and as Mike said, I mean, what are we talking about here? Eight million dollars? Is that the difference between you know living in one place and being happy or, or, or not? Maybe that's not worth the issue. Um, but you look for you know for so for a guy like Al Horford, you've had how many different ownership groups in the time he's been there? Uh, they still don't have a general manager over there. Uh, you know, there's there's uncertainty there. And so, okay, I can see that somewhat, but I, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, th- most of these teams, I would not think coming into it, just as you, no one's going to move anywhere. So why even bother have that consideration? Now, some of this could be just that Atlanta wants to gauge, you know, wants to just take a test, you know, gauge of the water on this and dip their toe in. But when you look at where they are, they're not going to get to that same level, just like Utah. They're not going to get to that next level with the group they have, or at least that's what they're thinking. But none of them are desperate. And the desperate teams, those are the ones that Ainge has shown a real um, ability in taking advantage of. Who's going to yeah. be that next desperate team? Could it be Milwaukee? I'd like to see them take a, swing at, swing, a big swing at Jabari Parker because I think that kid is going to be a star and he's just, he's so undervalued, and he's never going to play And he could be the scorer. Roster. He could be the Paul Pierce scorer type that we're talking exactly. about. That even, yeah, that's a, that is a fantastic point. If if that, that's another one I would move the pick for. I, I just think, again, it, it fits the need. But you're talking about, can the team, you know, can the team get just above that level of, of good, the good side of mediocre? And, and I guess we have to, as we close out the show here in the next five to ten minutes, we have to ask that question of this Celtics team because I mentioned that George Carl says he thinks the Seas could take Cleveland. Friday night sure looked like it, although at the same time I'm thinking, you know, if I'm David Blatt, I'm looking at I'm looking at LeBron James saying, "See, it's not that easy to coach the team," you know, <laughs> because we all know we all know who the coach of that team is right now. That's part of the reason they're vulnerable. But can this Celtics team take that leap this season? Even if they don't add a major piece at the trade deadline, are they poised to take Toronto? Can they get that? Because Toronto has been as hot, if not hotter, than the Celtics during that Celtics stretch. I mean, I think they've closed a couple of games, but Toronto is on fire, too. Mm-hmm. Can the Celtics leapfrog them? I mean, I know right now they're toe-to-toe for that third position in the East, but but if they can they continue on this pace like they did last year and move into that second that second spot, or do you think they're going to up hitting some road bumps along the way and, and settle out in the three or four spot anyway? I think they'll stay in the three or four spot without a deal. 
Now, that, I think that's the big, the big what if here. I think the big what if here is can they get? First of all, you want to be in three. You don't want to be in four because you don't want to play Cleveland. I don't care that we won Friday night. <laughs> the best path to the finals is going through the six, seven, or two, three spots, and then only have to play Cleveland at the end. So that's where you want to be, right? I I don't think they're going to be able to get ahead of Toronto. I think. I think head-to-head they could beat Toronto, even though everything we've seen tells that's not the case. I, I just I have a, a feeling that they're going to find a way to do it, but every single time Toronto kicks them in the teeth, and yeah, I don't know what that's about. I don't know that it's you know whether it's they find a way to take advantage or they have a lot of guards that can score, and so that puts a lot on Isaiah. And then Isaiah is always you know how do you hide Isaiah? Uh, against a team that just c- comes at you, and they're not just shooters; they're 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 scorers. They can drive to the hoop, they can pull up, and you know it, it's a tough spot for Isaiah. So I I don't think they're gonna they're gonna overcome him without a deal. If they make a deal, a big deal, I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Horford. I'm talking about a Hayward. I'm talking about somebody of that ilk. They could make that. They could make that jump. Personally. I'd love to see, look, we're just talking about Jabari Parker. You could make a deal for Jabari Parker without that Nets pick, I believe. I think you can. I think go to the 17, maybe the 18 pick. Maybe you find a way to package picks. Um, I'd love to see them make a deal, still slide back, because you're going to need to give up some of your, your talent on the roster. Fall into the 6 or 7 seed, but be ready for the future. I think their, their best benefit this year might be, if this trade deadline is to sell off, some of these players and some of these assets get better assets, like a guy like a Jabari Parker or somebody who can Yeah, play. the consolidation move. Exactly. And somebody who can score. You know what? I think there's two wild cards in this. It's the trade deadline move, and then the other one is I think Toronto's one injury away from slipping. Yep. I, 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 I don't see the depth as strong as the Celtics, right? The Celtics have been dealing with injuries all season long. Somebody goes down, somebody steps up. Marcus Mark down, comes back, gets his ankle healthy. Next thing you know, he's draining threes. I think the Celtics are built for stability, especially if they do exactly what you just said, because they still have a ton of depth behind that. Yeah. Even if even if they do consolidate in a two-for-one, three-for-one move, they still have some depth. I'm not saying Jordan Mickey's going to come up and light the world on <laughs> but I'm saying you can still have a solid eight or nine man rotation, yeah. even if you do a three for one deal. That's what's that's what's so beautiful about the construction of this squad is that they're I think they can survive that. So I, I think they can move into that second seed because I think that's an either or. I don't think they need to make the trade deadline move and Toronto needs to get hurt. I'm saying one of those two things happens. And I think the Celtics can squeeze up into that number two slot. I do think it's realistic. The one thing I would say though about Toronto is they were a lot of this win streak came with Damari Carroll on the shelf. So they, you know they they did take that hit and were successful in in spite of it. But I but I think your overall point is right. They lose it. They lose a Lowry. They lose a DeRozan. Um, uh, even with Carroll back, I don't know that they can they can do it. I think. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something crazy, but as far as head-to-head matchups with the Celtics, I think they're a Valanciunas injury away because that guy destroys the Celtics with his presence inside. And I know he doesn't do a ton of minutes, but he is a game changer out on the floor. It'll be interesting to see with Tyler Zeller getting some minutes back if he can change it. I mean, I know he's yeah. not gonna body him up, but Valanciunas winds up presenting so many problems. For the Celtics, that's another reason why I say a guy like Monroe, just a little bit taller, a little bit beefier. Who knows? You know, maybe maybe he has Valanciunas working so hard on defense, 
as he's going to work on the low post block that, you know, that winds up changing the game as well. But yeah. you know what? We, we're pretty much out of time, and we always run out of time with plenty more to say, which is what's so awesome about the fact that we're back doing this every week because guess who's our guest next week? Tell them, John. The uh, our our one one A to our one B of our greatest hosts, the one and the only Sean Grandy, will be joining us next week. So looking forward to chatting with him. <laughs> All right, so good to see absolutely, you. and I know we're going to take some heat because I know he's probably listened to the show or yep. will have listened to the show by the time we have him on the air. But uh, so two things: next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk to Sean Grandy. The other thing is we're going to announce. Uh, a Celtics ticket giveaway. Larry H. Russell has season tickets, and he's really supporting our return to the uh, to the the net waves by uh, giving away one of his season tickets to a game. So we're going to have that put together. It's likely that it'll have to do with uh, new followers on Twitter to CSL underscore Justin or CSL underscore Dude. So we're really excited to announce that. So a lot of things to get the the listeners involved. And I also want to say thank you to everybody on Twitter who listened to the show back in its heyday and have been giving us very warm welcomes you know, back to uh, back to the show. Uh, Lance G, notwithstanding, among others, and it's just been it's been really nice to hear from the old fans of the show. Yeah, it, no, it has been. It's it's really great to to kind of what's what's old is new again. And uh, also, you know, I think it's it's great to have people reaching out and you know. Nothing better. Somebody said nothing is euphoria. Nothing like euphoria when open up your 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 uh, podcast feed and all of a sudden you see a new episode of Selling Stuff Live there. That was that was a pretty cool uh, uh, comment I got on Twitter the other day. So thanks thanks for that. And and also hey you know hey great spot for you the other day with uh, with Larry uh, on uh, Celtics Beat. So uh, if people haven't listened to that yet, you need to. Uh, Justin was the, the the big ho the big guest to be on there, and then some Adrian Wojnarowski whatever uh, was on there too. So <laughs> I only got eight minutes as the big guest, but that's because I just hit it so well, you know. And then Woj, you know, he does, he's doing a good job. You know what we didn't talk about, <laughs> and we're gonna have to talk about this next week because I'm closing the show right now. Yeah. But Chris Mannix's uh, podcast interview with Paul Pierce yes. on the vertical with Chris Mannix was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal and jackie mack's article which i'm going to throw out there as well about height related nba athlete injuries and heart attacks etc really interesting and when i read that article i had no idea that moses malone had died in the hotel that i had stayed in the night before so if we remember these will be topics on next week's show but we've got to we've got to close it out uh, but if you haven't if you haven't uh, read that article or or listened to the podcast, you've got to go do it right away. Uh, make sure you go check it out. And we'll be back next week with Sean Grandy right here on Celtic Stuff Live. Thanks everybody for listening. Celtic Stuff Live.